Hello out there, Michael Tingsa here. I'm presenting you Coming Back Stronger, which is a special edition podcast series focusing on how food and drinks businesses are bouncing back as the world slowly starts to reopen for COVID-19. We will especially be sharing great stories on how progressive leaders are bouncing back from the pandemic by utilizing the power of technology and delivery. By listening into these conversations in the coming period, you will be able to pick up some great stories, insights, facts, as well as best practices from industry experts, independent operators, to national chains, who are all setting new standards for how to operate in the new normal. Vita Mojo and Hospitality Mavericks joined forces on this project due to have shared beliefs on how tech can play a massive role in building companies that's good for people, communities, and the planet. In the first episode, we talked with independent operator Andrew Morrow Watson from Brixton in London, who is the founder of Gossel. He is also a former award-winning national business journalist and worked in corporate PR. And one day, he decided to open a shop so he could share amazing food from small producers with the world, and he has not looked back since. We talked about how he and his team are navigating the current storm, how they launched an e-commerce platform which has been a savior of their business. Also, business in the new now and what it means for a smaller business. And in the end of the conversation, there's some great advice from Andrew on how to try, survive, and prepare for the future. Tune in and enjoy. Welcome to this special edition podcast series, and uh, we are in uh, in a phase where I would say, are we in lockdown or not lockdown? We are something in between. Today's guest will give an, a view from a smaller operator, which I think is very interesting. We heard a lot recently about from from the, from the big ones and what's going on in their businesses. But again, the view of a smaller operator, which the still is the majority of our retail and restaurant market out there, and what they are doing to uh, thrive and survive this very, very difficult period. So for this interview, I have Andrew, the founder of uh, Gossel in Brixton, and we're going to be talking a bit about where are we now in the current pandemic, but also you know a bit about what are they doing actually to you know both uh, survive, but also you know, boost themselves back into the new normal, as people call it. So welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Thank you very much. And Andrew, uh, for people that doesn't know your shop in Brixton and what you're all about, can you just give a bit of background who yourself are? Of course, when you're the founder of a business, you're very connected to the business and why you're doing what you're doing, but also what Gossel is it all about and what you are doing to, to make the world a better place. <laughs> so um, my background, personally, I used to be uh, a business journalist many, many years ago, and then worked in um, in various forms of public relations and corporate communications for many years. And about three years ago, I was wandering around a very cold, wet farmer's market in Herne Hill on a, on a cold, wet Sunday in February. And I thought there's got to be a better way of of doing this. So that was a sort of the founding thought behind guzzle and basically originally it was set up to be an online only subscription business whereby um we would we would ship monthly boxes um of delicious calorific indulgent treats to people exclusively from small independent producers it was really the antithesis of grays or all these sort of healthy eating boxes that um 
that are out in the market doing a great job. We wanted to do something a bit different. And we spent a couple of months setting that up, thinking it was going to be a low-cost, low-risk model run from my spare room initially until we got up to scale. And then much to my surprise, and I think this is probably shared by a lot of food entrepreneurs um, setting up a business, not everyone you've ever met in your entire life immediately signs up and gives you their money. Because whilst you think it's the best idea in the world, um, not everyone else does necessarily. So we, 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 got, we started doing that and we got off to a reasonable start and we started building the business. But then it became apparent that the cost of customer acquisition for a business, a food subscription business like this was astronomically high. Um, and um, um, to cut a long story short, um, I, I had just got a dog at the time. He became best friends with another dog in the park whose owner had a shop in Brixton Village. And I got to know him. And over a few beers, we hatched a plan to uh, open a, a bricks and mortar dustle store, um, you know, with the same philosophies we had for the online business. So we only stock small ind- products from small independent producers, many local as possible. Um, and it was going to be a kind of an indulgent, an indulgent deli for the for for want of a better expression. So we launched that in. Um, so we, we well. We, we put in the, the proposal for the shop to the, the then landlord of Brixton Village. And for those who don't know Brixton Village, it's um, it's an old covered uh, arcade market that is um, full of really lovely restaurants, uh, independent restaurants and independent retailers, as well as kind of fishmongers and butchers and uh, greengrocers um, and wig shops and all the other sort of retail establishments you, you would expect in Brixton. So um, I put in the proposal, went on holiday, uh, not expecting to hear anything back for a while. And uh, my business partner, who who um, already had a shop in Brixton, um, rang me on my second day of my holiday to say, the landlords love the proposal, own they've got a unit, and would you like to sign the lease when you get home? So <laughs> that took a week. And then it took for the two and a half weeks between getting the keys to the shop and opening the doors to the, the first customer. And in that time, we had to buy all the fixtures and fittings. We got the table made. We got the counter made. We got BT to connect us, which was a miracle. Uh, we painted it. And obviously, we bought all the stock. And the, and the paint on the door was still wet when myself and a few friends carried over boxes and boxes of stock from my flat where they'd been arriving to the shop, which thankfully wasn't too too far away. And that was November 2017. So we've been going just under two and a half years now. We've been growing the business successfully. And it's been very much an old-fashioned retail establishment where customers would come in and get great customer service and be, you know, surprised um, by the, the, the range and the, and the different brands that we have available. Um, so we sell everything from very high-end confectionery and chocolates and sweets through to fermented foods like kimchi and sauerkraut and kombuchas, um, charcuterie, um, lots of different snacks. Relishes, sauces, ketchups, mayonnaises, mustards, uh, oils and vinegars, uh, chili sauces and jams, teas, coffees, hot chocolates, jams and preserves and spreads. And we do quite a lot of non-food stuff as well. So um, tableware, um, as well as kind of on-the-go keep cups um, and chili bottles and things like that as well. So that's us in a nutshell. That sounds like, uh, you know, a lovely start. And then uh, you, in a couple of months ago, you were hit by the pandemic like anything else, uh, anyone else in the, in the market. How have this uh, affected you? And what are you doing right now to to keep on top of this uh, massive wave of disruption? 
Yeah. So when it became apparent, the week it became apparent, I think towards the end of March, when we were going into lockdown, like other food retailers, we were, we were, we were inundated. And to be clear, Guzzle is not a shop you go to to buy your dinner, right? You can buy lots of lovely things to make your food taste better and like snacks and treats and things. But we're not an essential retailer. Like you couldn't, you know, we're not like a supermarket or a big, big deli where you can essentially buy everything you need to eat for a week. But we were inundated with people coming in and buying, you know, three bottles of gin or, you know, a slab of, of, of beer or, or, you know, 18 different bars of chocolate or whatever. And that, that was great for a week. And then we stayed open, um, obviously, the first week of lockdown. And it was, it was, you know, incredibly quiet. So we rapidly decided that we were only going to open one day a week on Saturday. And I had a very fortuitous conversation with my landlord who put me in touch with a software company called Vita Mojo, who build e-commerce systems for predominantly restaurants um, who obviously, you know, they had a staff, a staff of people who were largely twiddling their thumbs in the lockdown. So they um, very kindly built an e-commerce platform for the shop for free. And it's not like doing a restaurant e-commerce platform where there's like 12 dishes. You know, we have hundreds and hundreds of products. So they put in lots of man hours to upload all the product imagery and all the descriptions and everything else uh, and did so in the space of a couple of days. Um, and they, they will take a small percentage of sales moving forward. So we went from essentially having a very, very slim e-commerce proposition to relying on online orders for most of our income. Um, and in the process of getting this set up, um, I also took a very low, low tech approach to, um, online, um, and, and, moving to quickly provide local deliveries and i literally sent out a pdf um to all the kind of customer emails i had and also to lots of local bulletin boards and to the local paper and anywhere else i could think of to say you know if you want to order from us use this product menu um give me a call or send me a message or send me an email so that was the start of it and then the then the online um, proposition kind of kicked in um and it's been it's been it you know it's, it's been better than we could have imagined it was going to be um and i think the reasons for that are, 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 are many and quite complex um interesting like the average the average sale in the shop before the lockdown was about 12 or 13 pounds per customer the average sale online since the lockdown started it's been over 50 pounds i think it's like 52 pounds or something at the moment and that is a combination of we, we're, we're providing free local deliveries within three miles so we are deliberately um, providing a community-based service for everyone who knows us already and who's been in the shop. Um, and I think that's, that's been vitally important. So I, I cycled over 100 miles in April um, on my bike, taking around orders to people within a three-mile radius. And then we've, d we've done national orders as well. And, it's, and broadly speaking, it's been about 60%. Sales have been about 60% local and 40% national. Um, and it's funny the, the different things that people buy when they're in lockdown compared to normally. But um, you know, you, you you can't buy a jar of lemon curd in this country, as far as I can work out anymore. Um, and marmalade, marmalade is suddenly much more popular than it was. But um, but you know, so so we've we've done okay. It's a massive struggle, and it's not replaced everything that we've lost. But it kind of gives us a lifeline, and I think it's um, it also points us towards. I think the future of, of retailing as well. Um, it's going to be 
you know, it won't be the lockdown that that, that kills independent food retailers. It's going to be what happens afterwards. Uh, and I think that we are obviously heading for a really, really steep recession. Um, firstly, so there's a, a huge economic challenge coming for all retailers, regardless of size. And I think, secondly, um, and perhaps most importantly, less people will, will, will shop for pleasure. Um, shopping is a something to do on a Saturday afternoon when you've got nothing else to do. I think it's going to become less of a pastime than it was. Now, that being the case, what? how do retailers react? And I think that is going to be the the, the, the single biggest question that, that we're all kind of uh, struggling with right now. Uh, what do we do once lockdown ends? How do we adjust our business models? Um, moving forward and I think that from a, from, a, from a small independent retailer's perspective the one thing that is clear above everything else is that the the retail ecosystem the food retail ecosystem has shifted fundamentally so before you would have the producer and that could be the, a farmer or it could be somebody making jam or salami or bars of chocolate or whatever else and they would sell to a wholesaler who would sell to the retailer who would sell to the customer. And because, you know, particularly at the wholesale distribution level, the retail customer is either really struggling or is no longer trading at all. These types of businesses are now going straight to the consumer. And and, and producers who were previously content to sell to their retail customer base um now have to really invest and really spend lots more time going direct to consumer as well so in south london where you have where you had huge wholesale markets uh new covent garden and so on um a lot of these wholesalers are now going direct to direct to your your customers so in many instances your you know your friendly supplier your friendly wholesaler is now your rival which is interesting and just you know Cycling around the streets um, of South London doing deliveries, it is really apparent just how many people are doing the same thing, and how many how many cycle couriers are out there dropping off bags of goods or, or boxes of vegetables or fish or meats or whatever else it happens to be. So there's been this fundamental shift in in how people uh, how the end customer receives the, the food that they put in the, the fridge and in the cupboard, and we will have to wait and see how much of that sticks once lockdown finishes. And how much of it goes back to normal? Because I think until we have a vaccine and the fear element goes out of of, of, of shopping, people might I think are going to carry on getting their food from from, from direct and having it delivered to their door um, from small retailers, uh, not just like likes of Ocado that have been you know in Tesco that have you know where people find it, found it very very hard to get delivery slots and supermarkets where once they were the source of convenience. Now they're the source of inconvenience. You have to, you know, you have to queue, and you can't get a delivery slot. And what you can't buy a bag of brown rice that you wanted, and it's, you know, it's a real hassle. Um, and, and ironically, the small independent retailer, which before the lockdown you would have traditionally seen as being a source of inconvenience, because you would have had to go into that individual shop, and that takes time, and they're probably going to be a bit more expensive, and so on and so forth. Um, and now that are now the kind of the, the heroes of the situation because they're the ones um, providing great fulfillment and great customer satisfaction and providing great quality products. Um, and I think that's been a real eye opener for lots and lots of, of, of consumers. 
Um, so we'll just have to see how much of that sticks. But I think, you know, the, it is clear that independent retailers, food retailers cannot, they cannot live by the previous model, the pre-lockdown model. They've got to be thinking much more creatively about how do I fulfill the customer need? Because the customer is not going to come to your door in the same volumes as they were before. And uh, what have you doing? What are you doing yourself? You said you talked about you know different business model, a- additional revenue streams. You can call them as well. Do you have anything planned? Are you working on anything to actually say, okay, well now I've you know I have my shop. When it opens again, I have my digital platform where I sell from. From you know, I was surprised to hear how much you sold national. That was very interesting. A local uh, shop like yours go national with their sales. But, is there other things you are working on right now? Say, okay, what can I do to get ready for 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 the other side? Well, it's perhaps the only good thing in this situation is that everyone has a lot more time on their hands to think about what happens next. Right? You're not running around fulfilling orders, unpacking boxes, uh, um, getting things on the shelf that you were in the same way before. So everyone has a luxury of time. Um, my God, do we have a luxury of time? Looking at the four walls um, every, every single day. Um, what are we doing? So. I think before the lockdown, the, the the next expansion step would be to find a second premises and a third premises um, and roll out the model in a traditional manner. I think that that it, that it will no longer happen unless there is a fundamental reshaping of the of the rent um, and rates equation, which there may have to be. But because um, obviously commercial property is not worth a, you know anything like it was. Uh, pre-lockdown um, but that's a whole other dif- different subject but I think the focus now has to be on online I think it's interesting that if you're a foodie and you really really enjoy discovering great new products from small producers if you have a local local independent food retailer who who fulfills that service for you fantastic most people don't and if you go to if you look at online food retailing what is there above Waitrose nothing in, in terms of nationally recognized brands there is nothing above Waitrose, which strikes me as being really surprising. So I think that's where we want to sort of shape the business moving forward. And so I think, you know, any any spare capital that we have or any extra investment that we receive post-lockdown, I think will be shaped towards expanding that side of the business. I do think that for those that have a, a you know, a, a bricks and mortar presence and have, a, and have a fan base of customers and a loyal group of customers, that local fulfillment element is going to be vital, um, and it, it it by delivering goods to the door and having a chat with your customer on the doorstep, um, you are, if not replicating the in-store experience, then certainly providing some of it. Um, and I think it's you know that sort of local delivery fulfillment element is going to become part of the new normal, and I think that's going to be really important. And it's and it's you don't have to embrace technology to or invest heavily in technology to, to do that. You need to have, you know, you, you need to communicate directly with your customers. That can be done through, you know, local newspapers, local media, like do some, you know, print 5,000 flyers and deliver them around to your, your customer's door. Um, it's, um, you know, rely on word of mouth. Um, it, you know, I'm a dog walker. I have a dog. Some of my best customers are, are fellow dog walkers I, I meet in the park. Um, so yeah, I think local is going to be local fulfillment is going to be really, really important. Um, and I think that the, the way the market is shaping is that the cost of that fulfillment, if you can't do it yourself by jumping on a bike and, and doing it, I think the cost of local fulfillment is going to come down because 
um, you've got a lot of you've got a lot of people who who um, in need of work, and I think you've got to, you know I think you'll find you'll find operators springing up to do that kind of that last mile from the shop to the to the customer. Are you doing all your deliveries yourself, or you have you uh, involved somebody? Because there's always a conversation going on: should I do delivery myself, or I'm using a third party uh, courier platform for that sake? I think if you go down a third party route, it's quite expensive at the moment still, and um, it depends what your you know what your if your restaurant is easier to do, your margin is going to be higher. If you're you know if you're operating on twenty five, thirty, thirty five percent margins as a food retailer. You can either charge people for local delivery, um, you know, or you know, and that's going to be a, a you know a five or five six seven quid, or you go down the free route, in which case you've got to really, you know, put in the put in the miles yourself, literally, in order to make it make it viable, you know. But I think the cost, I think the cost of hiring a third party to do that fulfilment is going to come down quite a lot over the next six months. But I mean. The strange, the strange part of the situation is everyone's got quite a lot of time on their hands. So you know, I can get out on the bike and go and deliver to my customers. And actually, it's been quite nice weather, and it's quite it keeps the lockdown tummy at bay right, by doing it. So, and also gives you the opportunity to actually listen to your customers and, and hear their experiences of lockdown and, and what they, you know, why they value your business and and why they order from you and what sort of service they might look for in the future. So, I mean, it's. You've got time in your hands. It's a great opportunity to go and do some market research, speak to your customers on their door and listen to them um, and let them help you shape the business moving forward. Do you, do you see tech as a, a data? Because I guess you also have some data now about people that buy your products you don't have uh, before. Do you see tech and data as you know a vital thing for local operators? Because it's quite funny, um, before I was introduced to you, I'd had a couple of conversations with my local butcher, which I used regularly, but I've used them all the time now in this situation because now I can order online and pick it up. It takes to you when you have a family to stress out. And the same with my greengrocers. They got they're on email right now, but they're looking at a you know a, a web shop opportunity as well because they can see that people want this and they want to shop with them if they make it convenient for them. But I guess for you as well, tech and and, and the data makes you even uh, better to you know uh, you know compete against the big ones as you just mentioned. Wade Rose as one of them. I think for 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 your local customer base, what you can provide them is convenience and service. And that the value of data in understanding your customer, I think, is much more apparent at a national level, where you don't have that kind of familiarity with with your local customer. You do with your local customer, you don't have that level of interaction, and therefore you have to rely on other metrics to really, you know, gain that kind of that tiny sliver of an advantage over all your other rivals. Um, I I think from a yeah a local customer perspective that. That data set is probably less important. Um, they will tell you what they want, um, and and you know you have the benefit of of being you know in their neighbourhood. They trust you already, so you've kind of yeah you don't you don't need that kind of heavy data set in the same way. Um, I mean, we were we were very lucky in that Jay Rayner, the Observer food writer, uh, is a local to Brixton and knows the shop. And very kindly tweeted about us, which which really helped with with picking up lots of national orders. I mean, I do think that fulfilling national orders, geography becomes less obviously much less important. Um, and I can easily see a situation over, over the medium term where the shop is essentially 
there to build customer loyalty at a local level. Um, you'll you'll do hopefully enough sales to pay the rent. Um, but essentially, it's like a mini it's a mini warehouse as well, right? It's a fulfillment center. Um, and I don't think it matters if you're the size of Waitrose or if you have one small independent shop. You've got to be working really hard to get your online sales. Um, and that's gonna that's gonna you know in, increasingly since you know since COVID came along, that will be the difference between success and business success and business failure. Whereas before it might have made, made the difference between a good business and a great business. Now I think it's so mission critical that that um, you know retailers won't survive without without it. That brings me to to the last bit I would like to ask you because you know. Um how 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 you know you you already described a future that looks very difficult so if you were giving advice to to leaders out there that runs their retail their delis their restaurants and so on what would you give them an advice to bounce back from this what would your top three advice be use this time well to invest in thinking about how you can shape your business for the for what the new normal is going to be and be really honest with yourself if you've got a a restaurant you know with social distancing for for 12 months conceivably and it's not gonna it's not gonna even if it's full and you have half as many covers if it's not going to work then you know you've got to come to terms with that really quickly um i think what so th- i guess my first point would be just be really realistic with yourselves uh, and see you know whether there is a way forward or whether it's time to pursue another career secondly i would say just try and track as much as you can customer behavior and how you think what the new normal is going to be out of all of this. And, you know, just as mentioned in terms of food retailing and the, and the whole food ecosystem dramatically shifting, um, you've got to, I guess, work out where that's going to end up and how much of, how much of the new normal is going to stay the new normal and how much is going to go back to the, how we were before. And I think the other, I guess it's, it's not a, a point of a piece of advice but more a question that i think everyone should be thinking about is commercial property is now fundamentally worth a whole lot less you know your leases on your restaurants or your deli or your your food shop are fundamentally worth a whole lot less than they were um and there's not going to be a queue of people waiting to take your premises if you don't succeed um and i think the big the big fallout from covid that we've not really seen discussed very much yet is what's going to happen for commercial landlords because as far as i can work out there isn't a commercial landlord in this country that's currently solvent um they're all mortgaged up um the value of their assets has fallen i would think you know 40 50 60 percent or more um so i'd say to everyone start renegotiating with your landlord now um you know you'd the as sitting tenants and, and you 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 know the situation is desperate but to your advantage you know your landlord is not going to have somebody waiting to take your space um so be really really you know forthright with your landlords and start having conversations now and say we're not going to be able to afford the same the same rent moving forward nothing like it um and if you don't like that then i'm sorry but you know, this is this is the new normal, right? My my property is not my lease is not worth anything like it was. So start having those conversations now and start reducing your cost base, um, because if you know 
one of, we're told one in four shops aren't going to open again after the lockdown. You know, there's there's a there's there's a flood of properties going to be coming on the market. So um, you you hold the whip hand when it comes to talking to landlords. So yeah, start having those conversations now. That was uh, some really good advice. What I got from it was, yeah, spend your time wisely. Prepare, prepare, prepare for whatever that comes in in the in the near future. I guess you can't plan too long as well. Um, and uh, and then uh, the whole thing about you know spending time really understanding what your customers need, and that's that's always been uh, critical, I think. But also again, this you know, why are you different, and how why do they actually buy from you? than somebody else and then you know i agree with the landlord i think we haven't even seen the top of that iceberg um the uh conversations about you know how do we make that work you know and and, and of course it has to work both ways in the long run but there's definitely some overpriced property where you you should you should as one of the first things of one of your biggest costs in your PL, you should go in and channel that i totally agree Andrew, that that was an uh, absolutely uh, amazing conversation, and a uh, and a conversation that's a bit different than than the normal one we hear, uh, and and I think you you've done quite well, so it's been quite inspiring hearing that. So uh, I will wish you all the the power and energy and uh, good luck you need to 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 get through the the next period, as you said yourself. There's no cure, so however long that will be. Thank you very much, Andrew. Michael, thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure. Andrew, that was fascinating. Thanks so much for your great thinking and advice on how to survive and thrive in the current storm as an independent business owner. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share it with people you think that would benefit from it, rate it, and let us know what you think. Especially thanks to Vita Mojo for making it possible. If you'd like to know more about Vita Mojo, you will find them on software.vitamojo.com or contact them directly at nick.leadle at betamojo.com. Thank you for listening and keep innovating.